Hi everyone. Welcome to Pills and Needles, the podcast about mental health and tattoos. <laughs> and that's a little hello from the monster that is my dog. Yep, he grunts like a pig and he does it when I don't pay attention to him. He doesn't like it when he doesn't have my full attention. So right now he's actually on my lap and I'm scratching his butt and he's finally quiet and I think he's going to fall asleep soon. So you're going to hear more snoring for sure. Which is great because apparently some of you think that the snoring dog is the best part of the podcast. I kind of agree. Okay, so back to what I was saying. Welcome to Pills and Needles, the podcast about tattoos, mental health, and apparently a snoring dog. In this episode, we're going to talk about anxiety because, well, depression is something new in my life. Anxiety has been a constant companion. I just didn't know that's what it was. I thought it was a personality quirk. I thought these weird worries and these strange fears that I had were just a part of who I was. My earliest manifestation of anxiety, apart from being a really dramatic kid who would just freak out over every tiny scrape and cut, was my immense fear of death. Now you're probably thinking, oh well I am scared of death too, but wait till you hear this. I think I was around 9 when I went from having zero experience with death to having too much of it. In a span of two weeks, my grandma's mom died and then my grandpa's dad died. Now, when I say grandpa in this case, I actually mean my step-grandpa, but he's never been a step-grandpa to me. He's always been grandpa. He was the grandpa that I grew up with. I mean, I also had a relationship with my mom's dad and he was also grandpa to me. He was a great guy. But I was always closer to my step-grandpa. Um, he was there for me from the time I was, a, I was born because he's been there since my mom was 18, I think. And so he's been around since the time I was a baby. Um, he took care of me. I was the first grandkid, and so I spent a lot of time with him and my grandma. I would sleep at their house. We would go out to eat. We would have adventures together. And so I was very close, and still am very close to him. And so in a span of two weeks, my grandma's mom died, and then his dad died. And so it hit me, that reality of death, that people die, that parents die. And I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want my parents to die. And so I have a very vivid memory of being in bed with my parents, with my dad on my left side and my mom on my right side, making them promise that we would all die together. I did not want them to die before I did. And then that escalated into me thinking that my mom would die every time she'd leave the house. Imagine being a kid with no control. You cannot tell your mom, no, don't leave the house. You have to stay with me. Of course, she had to go out, do errands, do things. 
And every single time she left, you would think she was really going to die. And it was such a real thing to me that I would have a physical reaction to it. I would throw tantrums. I would really bawl and freak out. And I wasn't a little kid, you know. I was maybe 9, 10, I think. This lasted until I was 11, I think. Fourth fourth grade, fifth grade, something like that. And it got so bad that my dad had to sit me down and tell me, if this doesn't stop, if this goes on, we're going to have to take you to, I think, a psychologist is what he said. I don't think he used the word shrink. And it was a scare tactic. That was the thing. And now in hindsight, I kind of wish that they did take me to a doctor, to a psychologist, a shrink, whatever. Because then maybe we could have nipped it in the bud then. Um, I remember being so scared that my mom would die, that I would stay up at night because I used to sleep in the same room as my parents. And I would check if she was still breathing throughout the night. I would wait to see if the blanket was still moving up and down in that rhythmic way that it would if you're if the person under the blanket is breathing and then of course sometimes the room is too dark and I couldn't see if she was breathing and so I would use my hand and place it near her face to feel her breath on my palm and sometimes she would wake up of course because I was a clumsy kid and I'd accidentally knock into her nose or accidentally touch her face and she'd get mad because she'd think I was playing with her face and I couldn't tell her no I'm just checking if you're still alive that was just one part of it um and it was such it became a problem really I should actually ask her about it I don't know if she remembers this um but yeah and then the funny thing though there's a funny part about this because this is the thing that I hope this podcast would also convey depression anxiety all these mental disorders they also have a funny side and a lot of people who have it are pretty funny people like the people I know who have it who deal with it they deal with it using humor I do that as well and so even these tragic stories have pretty funny moments like in this case my dad sat me down and he was like um are you just like this with your mom or are you like this with me too like he said it he even said it in a sweet like are you also like this with papa and then I said no just mom and it was such an asshole thing to say as a kid but I did not know it was such an asshole thing to say because I was just being honest I'm like nah no, not really. I was just really worried about mom, not you. But now that I think about it, it makes me laugh because that's such a slap in the face, right? Like you asking your kid, oh, are you worried that I'm going to die too? And your kid goes, nah, not really. So yeah, it's pretty funny. But the other thing I was worried about was dying. Like I was scared of my own death. I was so scared of my own death that at around 10 years old, I would actually stay up all night reading because I was scared that if I fell asleep I wouldn't wake up I always feared that I would die in my sleep um, and it became so bad that I would dread sunsets because sunsets meant it would get dark and getting dark meant bedtime would be coming soon and so I think that's part of the reason why my 
body clock has never been normal. I've always been a late sleeper. I always like staying up at night. I find comfort in sleeping when the sun is up. I think that has a lot to do with it. And so, yeah, I went through a really long phase of that. Eventually, I did start sleeping at night because I had to. But that fear of death never went away. And when I grew up, my my worries about my parents dying moved on to worrying about my boyfriend's dying, which is a really strange thing. Like even with the first boyfriend that I had in college, when he would drop me off at my house, I would be counting the minutes until he'd call me to tell me that he's home. And it's not because I was worried about him cheating or stopping over somewhere else on his way home. I would just have these images of him dying in a car wreck, getting hit by trucks. And it didn't help that I had such an overactive imagination. So I was able to come up with all these scenarios. So yeah, I had those worries and I just really thought, oh, it's a part of who I am. And then, you know, things happen. We live in a crazy world where shitty things happen all the time and There was a time when there were a series, there were bombings in Manila. There was a series of bombings in Manila. And at that point, I was commuting a lot. I would ride the bus. I would ride the LRT. And then a bus was bombed. And then the LRT, the train station near my house, the the train station that I would actually use whenever I would leave to go to Makati, where my office was, it was bombed as well. And so I stopped commuting. And pretty soon after that, I had my first panic attack. I was, I think, 21 at that time when it happened. And I just remember it being this crazy thing. I was going to my mother's house. I had gotten a taxi from the house that I grew up in and but the taxi driver wanted me to get out I don't remember if it was because there was something wrong with the taxi like he had to fix the car or something but basically he made me get out of the car in the middle of a street that wasn't even that far from my house but it felt like such a disaster to me and I was standing on the street and before I knew what was happening I felt like I was in complete danger. My whole body was shaking and I was crying and I didn't know why I was crying. All I knew was it felt like I was just in danger. It made no sense. And I I remember this clearly. I was using an old Nokia phone then. There were no smartphones yet. This was 2002, I think. And that is a freaking train passing by that you're hearing. Welcome to Manila. Um... And so I was holding my old phone. Like I think I was using GPRS. This tells you how long ago this was. And I googled the symptoms that I had. Shaking, the the panic, the feeling of danger, irrational feeling of danger. And the words panic attack came up. Um, And so that was my first brush with that. I was lucky that at that point, my aunt from Seattle, who was a clinical psychologist, 
was visiting Manila soon. And when she heard about what happened, she brought books for me and she taught me breathing exercises and we had a good talk. And so I didn't really go to a shrink at that point because I had her for a bit and then I had those books and they were very helpful. I think one was anxiety for dummies and the other one was overcoming panic attacks something like that i'm gonna look that up and post the title somewhere but those were the two books that helped me through that time and then more recently um oh so the my fear of death has never disappeared it is something that is always there constantly And sometimes I'd be in the middle of doing something completely normal, like dressing up for the day. And then I would remember, holy shit, you're going to die one day. And it is such a jolting moment every time that it would actually stop me in my tracks, no matter what it is I'm doing, whether it's feeding the dog or working or, like I said, dressing up. It would just stop me and make me think fuck i'm gonna die one day how am i gonna die how's that gonna happen it's just this really screwed up thing that i thought was a part of who i was um and then i began to have feelings of dread this was very soon maybe a year before the diagnosis but i would just have this constant feeling of dread. It was irrational because there was no reason for it. It wasn't like, you know, you would have feelings of dread. Like I used to have feelings of dread when report cards were coming out because I always got shitty grades. Or if there was something that I really didn't want to do that was coming up. But there was nothing, no reason for it at all. But I would just have this constant heavy feeling in my heart. Like this feeling that something is going to happen. Something terrible is going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. And imagine having that feeling day after day after day after day. And just thinking that, oh, it's just part of who I am. I had no idea that this was an anxiety disorder. That this was something that had a solution that I could go to a doctor and talk to them about it and and get medication for it. And yeah, I really didn't know. I just thought, oh, that's who I am, which is really freaking stupid. And this is part of the reason why I'm being so outspoken about this, why I'm telling my story, because I hope that someone who hears this realizes that, hey, that is what I'm going through. And wow, there's something I can do about it? Yes, there is. Because now I have a really crazy healthy relationship with death. Like I don't get that jolt anymore. Every day I just think, yep, one day I'm gonna die, which is why I should make the most out of my life. Like the time that I have is not infinite. So I'm gonna live life as well as I could while I still could. And it is such a different feeling from that feeling of panic every time I would think like, oh my God, what happens when I die? Am I going to be alone? Am I going to walk in a dark tunnel searching for the light? What if I don't find the light? What if nobody fetches me? Are my relatives going to come pick me up? Like all these crazy things that I used to worry about, they're all gone. Now it's not, I won't even say it's the medication. Maybe it was, but I haven't taken my 
anti-anxiety medication in a long time. Like it's been months. I think the last time I took it wasn't even for anxiety. I just really needed to sleep and I couldn't sleep. But yeah, um, I did have a panic attack about a month. No, maybe less than two months ago. It was in the middle of a fight. And so it was triggered by a fight. And I just started to feel like I couldn't breathe. And it was this horrible thing. And I knew it would help if I got some water and just slow down my breathing but it took me a while like I was really shaking it was I think the worst panic attack I've ever had but I survived it I think I drank my medicine that night that's true I drank my one-fourth of Rivotril because Rivotril is actually a really we're gonna talk more about meds in a future episode but I have always been kind of afraid of that medicine um because I know it's highly restricted. It's funny because it's the cheaper between my two medicines. But it's the harder one to get because they're really strict about it. When you give your prescription, they vote, I think they stamp it and you have to sign it. And they get it from you. And they're pretty strict about it. Because I did some research on it and people do get addicted to it. And so I have... Um, it's a tiny it's a tiny white tablet and i would have to split it in four i'm only supposed to drink i can't remember if yeah, yeah yeah i was only supposed to drink a fourth of it but i used to complain to my doctor that it made me so sleepy that even if i drank it the night before i'd still be so sleepy the next day that she finally said you know what just try one eighth until eventually i just stopped taking it because i was just too groggy and i couldn't function and it was hard feeling like a zombie all day but we're gonna talk more about that in a different day um but yeah so anxiety is something that's very real but it's something that you don't have to suffer through there are solutions there are things that you can do to help yourself and there are things that your a doctor can do to help you and maybe listening to this and knowing that you're not alone can also help i hope if you have stories of anxiety, if you have questions, I am not promising to have all the answers. I definitely do not. But my plan is to ask the experts. So if you have questions that you're afraid to ask anyone, we can do it anonymously. Don't worry about it. Just email pillsandneedlespodcast at gmail.com. Okay, now to the tattoo part because we did not... We have not mentioned tattoos at all, and I always want to put a mix of the two together in every episode. I wanted to talk, I was going to go chronologically when it comes to my tattoos. I have a lot of them now. I have over 20 of them. I've actually stopped counting. But I have decided that I'm going to talk about my recent tattoo. I only got it. Three days ago, on the eve of my birthday, I actually got two tattoos, but I would talk about the other one some other time. That's a really long story. But I want to talk about the Shrinking Ninja tattoo that I finally got. Now, those of you who are friends with me on Facebook and who know me in real life um, know that my cousin L, people call him IZ, Nico is, he's called different things, but he's L to me and sometimes pot pot it's a childhood nickname that i've never let go of so i still call him pot pot and he didn't mind um he died last month he died 
on September 15, it was a very sudden death. He didn't wake up. He just didn't wake up one morning and he was just 28 and he was sleeping in the same room as my brother Pawi and so that whole scenario is horrific to me. Um, the driver had gone to the room to wake him up because he was supposed to go to school and when they tried waking him up he was just gone and they rushed him to the hospital they tried to revive him but he had passed away in his sleep um l is a very special boy and i realized that at his wake hearing from all his friends he had this amazing ability of reaching out to people and making his presence felt all the time and i really thought for a long time that I was special and I was talking about that in my eulogy I was telling them that I was kind of pissed because I thought I was special this entire time and then I hear that everything that he was doing for me this whole constant like I miss you I love you when am I gonna see you when are we going out like I want to cook this for you and I made this for you he was doing that to everyone like how did how does one person do that for everyone in his life which shows you the magical person that he was the kind of magic that he had um so my cousin l when i was first diagnosed with depression he has so many talents he's an amazing cook he makes films he's an artist and so when he found out that i was diagnosed with depression he created a character for me because I had put up the blog the shrinking ninja that's what I called myself because I was seeking treatment stealthily like a ninja and kind of battling it on my own quietly without people knowing yet and so that was the character that he created he drew a shrinking ninja for me and it was funny because he created different characters like a shrinking ninja waiting outside her shrink's office a ninja drinking beer because i was so happy i was finally allowed to drink beer again and then a ninja on her phone all the time kind of like me um a ninja traveling with her luggage and so there were different versions of that ninja and we kind of had a conversation where i said i was gonna have it tattooed and then I didn't realize that he was waiting for me to have it tattooed. But the thing is, I have a long list of tattoo ideas, and I still do now. And so I kept pushing and pushing and pushing the ninja tattoo because I there were these other tattoos that I wanted to get. And so he would tease me about it whenever I'd see him. He'd be like, when are you getting it done? And, and the last time I saw him was six days before he died. He had organized a movie day for us, all of us cousins, with his mom and my uncle, who's my mom's, that's my dog, snoring and sighing. Um, with, it was a movie date with all my cousins, my aunt and then my uncle. And uh, we were going to watch it, which was a movie that he was really excited about and we were really excited about because he, he's snoring again. Okay, I woke him up, sorry. Okay, so we went to see it and it was such a big part of our childhood, which sounds really weird 
But yeah, as kids, we really loved watching the Tim Curry It movie. We watched it over and over again. Yep, that's a snore. And so, yeah, El was really excited to see the movie. And he worked so hard on setting it up because people were like, can we do it on a Friday? Some people were like, can we do it on a Sunday? And so he did Facebook polls and he really just made sure everybody got together. And I almost didn't make it to the movie day. And I am so glad I went because that turned out to be the last time that I would see El. And one of the last things he did was poke my tattoo because I had gotten a tattoo of the wimpy kid. It's a long story that I will tell on a different day. And he said, another new tattoo and still no ninja. And so when I gave his eulogy, I said sorry to my grandparents and my mom because they're not big fans of my many tattoos. But I said, I'm going to get it tattooed finally. And I did that. On the eve of my birthday, I finally got the Shrinking Ninja, the one that's on the phone. And I had her tattooed on my right arm. And yeah, so I'm glad that I finally did it. It's a permanent part of me now. And it's a tribute to my cousin and his big heart and his... Because he was such a part of my journey. When I was diagnosed with depression, I moved back home. And that home was across the street from my grandparents' place. And El stayed there a lot as well. And so I got to spend time with him. So he actually went with me to the gym and taught me how to use the machines. He also cooked for me because he knew that I was trying to eat healthy because healthy eating helps your brain as well it's not just for the body um and so there was a week where he made soup for me every day like he made minestrone for me one day and a different i think was it a squash soup or a pumpkin soup one day so he did soup week and he would also go with me for runs and when i would go to get fruit and yeah so he was a big part of that journey and Just before he died, about a month before that, he was diagnosed with depression too. And, but he was doing pretty well. He was on meds as well. And uh, he was doing better. And so it was really a crushing blow when he passed suddenly. But yeah, but we're all still reeling from his loss. We all miss him every day. But there are things that we do, you know, to help us cope with the loss of a loved one and for me getting the tattoo being reminded of how he's always been there and what a big part of my life he's been he's always been more like a brother than a cousin and he was just so full of love and I feel really lucky that he was a part of our life and a part of our family and so yeah that's it for episode two and that was a really loud snore let me give you some more snoring no he decided to stretch and stop (laughs) yeah that was a real snore so yeah i hope to hear from you guys i've been getting messages about the first episode even as i am recording the second episode And I will read them to you next time. And I hope to hear from more of you. Just email pills 
Podcast at gmail.com you can send whatever you want to say if you want me to read a message for you if you want to send messages of support to loved ones going through a rough time just keep sending them over I would love to read them and share them with everyone thank you so much for listening and see you next time Thank you.